0: Hi, I'm Molly Ty and you're listening to the Punkin' Pubs podcast. Before the podcast starts, I want to tell you a little bit about my project on women and the punk movement and hopefully you can help. I'm writing a book about being a female punk fan covering all eras and all genres from the 1970s to today. If you're a fan of 80s hardcore or pop punk, if you're a Riot Girl or a straight edger, then I'd love to hear from you about your thoughts and experiences. To find out more about how you can get involved, you can visit my website mollytie.co.uk or find me on Twitter at mollytie. But enough about me, the podcast's about to start, so I'm going to hand you back. Hello and welcome to the Punks in Pubs podcast. My name is Liam Bird and I hope my voice finds you well. Let's crack on with the hard sell first... t-shirts we have new punks in pubs t-shirts to sell you 16 pounds each excluding postage and packaging and you get a free sticker Uh, these t-shirts are ethically sourced fairway organic cotton we have sizes from small to 2xl they feel great and all the money we make goes right back into the podcast so we can carry on improving the sound quality and once it's safe to do so pay for travel so we can continue to bring you episodes like this lovely chat that you're going to listen to in a second go pick up a t-shirt by visiting etsy.com forward slash uk forward slash shops forward slash punks and pubs podcast or if you don't like forward slashes click the link in the episode description of this podcast Uh, these shirts are limited so once they're gone they are gone 16 pounds for a t-shirt and a free sticker it's a bargain support your podcast and get a shirt right okay let's talk about episode 59 episode 59 sees me talking to a person who i've been trying to book since last year she is one of the lead vocalists and also the guitar player for the kick-ass band bad cop bad cop her name is stacy d sadly because of covid this chat took place over zoom But it is, in fact, the subject matter of COVID that kicks off uh, my chat with Stacey because bad cop were actually in Europe when the pandemic took hold of the continent. And Stacey reveals that she didn't actually take uh, the virus that seriously. That was because of um, uh, years upon years of misinformation from news organizations. Uh, So when uh, she was being informed by the news that uh, there's this pandemic in China is coming over to Europe and it was in Italy that she didn't really take it seriously because the news has been lying to her for most of her life. So why would you? So we kind of delve into the media and how that's played its part in the pandemic. I asked Stacy if releasing a new album, uh, Bad Cop, Bad Cop, have a new album called The Ride during COVID is a good idea. And um, Stacy reveals that Fat Mike is not a fan of the concept of the drive-in Uh, rock show or punk rock show uh, that a lot of bands seem to be going down to try and make some money i asked stacy about uh, her childhood growing up and um, stacy reveals the fact that she was always destined to play music on stage also i reveal that me and stacy actually have a bond uh, her ex-husband and my ex-boss the radio one punk rock show host mike Davies. so we talk about the punk show and also the reading and Leeds stage that mike used to run called the lockup uh, so you can hear me Stacy uh, relive some tales there. Lastly, I asked Stacy if the effects of writing songs like Breathless and Simple Girl has affected her mentally. I'll be back after my chat with Stacy to just say goodbye. But until then, enjoy episode 59 with myself and Stacy D. Hello. Hello.
1: Hello! Oh yeah, I'm a nutmeg. <laughs>
0: I've already said hello, but for the purpose of people already like, tuning into the podcast, how are you, Stacey? Are you well?
2: I'm doing really good. Uh, despite all the things going on, I am personally doing great.
0: Good, good, good. Because um, as we just kind of touched on again, before we started, we probably should have asked you when, when we actually started the podcast. Um, you're in California, and California recently just had like reignited their lockdown. I, how do you think people... In California, are taking it because you were one of the early states who did lockdown and then it seemed yeah. to be like Florida decided to have a party and then it kind of seems like you're now having the repercussions of maybe people not taking it seriously when states like California and New York really did? Um, has yeah. is there kind of like a oh, out, guys, like come on,
2: yeah? Well, because we are an outdoor state, this is a state of really great weather, and especially in the summertime, people want to be out. Um, you know, we want to be at the beaches, we want to be together, we want to have, you know, we want to be out. So I think like Californians were like, look, we locked down for a couple months, you know, it, it, what else are we supposed to do? You know, like we we have a life, to, we have lives to live too. Um, so it's a real balance of, you know, especially with the economy too, it's like a real balance of, you know, <clears throat> lives are more important, obviously. Yeah. Um, but then secondly, it's like, you know, do we want to live in a place where nobody's making any money anymore? And, you know, then we're out there, you know, stealing from each other or who knows what, you know, would happen if this progresses. Um, thankfully, we live in a state that, you know, has a has a strong economy so we can take care of our own a little bit. But like... Um, it's just such a weird time in human history. Man. It
0: really is bizarre. <laughs> I was saying this to my friends, like we're, we're literally going through a period where uh, kids will be taught about this time in the, in, yeah. in, in history. And it's yeah. probably the first time since in, in America, I'm guessing the Vietnamese war, but in the UK, the second world war, like we've not had mm. anything of recent history about it will be taught right. to kids. It's, it's just weird thinking of it like that.
2: Yeah. We're living in the middle of history. That's going to be real really really talked about it's like the whole world shut down the truth is it's like it is the whole world it Mm -hmm. is not just isolated places this is uh a real time for humans to kind of slow down and see you know that we're getting an opportunity to get off the hamster wheel if you will and kind of re-evaluate what's important to us as humans you know it's like for me I want to be healthy. I want my immune system to be strong. I want to um, keep down the amount of people that I'm seeing to maybe just, you know, like 10, <laughs> you know, that I've seen. You know, I'm not trying to – I went to one restaurant. I was, like, so excited to see <laughs> restaurants opening. I was like, yeah! And then all of a sudden it's like, no! <laughs>
0: well, when, when this podcast goes out on Sunday, um, the pubs are opening up in the U.K. on the Saturday so there's fears oh. that everyone's just i mean you've lived in the uk and we going talk about it in a sec you yeah. know how the brits love their pub love and the just pub. going yeah. seriously at it and if it's sunny <laughs> fucking hell yeah. we're gonna be back in lockdown yeah. in a week Dude. <laughs>
2: Dude, lunchtime on a sunny day at the pub when you work in london is where you go you drink your lunch yeah
0: <laughs> liquid lunch is the way to go um but that's it. you're in a unique position where about so your band has released an album during this period and normally when a band releases an album you go out and tour it hard yeah. was there was there like was there a discussion of like maybe we hold this back or was it like i mean fuck when is it that we're gonna be able to go out and tour again
2: Totally. We did think about it. We, we, the record was kind of pushed back, pushed back, pushed back for, we thought we'd get it out in February. Um, but then it got pushed back to June and we, we, um, the the label fat records asked us, do you want to hold on this a little bit more? And we were all like, yeah, maybe we push it back. Maybe we push it back a little bit more. We've waited this long, but then we just decided, look, um, gone are the days of bands that are able to tour and sell CDs that make us, uh, you know, a huge living Mm -hmm. Um, back then, you know, when, when we now, I'm sorry, excuse me. Now everything is streaming. So the, the selling of a lot of CDs to make, to get the record out there. It's not as necessary. And fat Mike, who is a dear friend of mine is like, Stacy, no effects has never toured on an album. That's so weird. (laughs) I don't understand it. I don't understand it. You tour when you want to tour you don't tour on a record. And I was like, okay. Um, So we had to take a lot of that stuff into consideration and just decided, you know what, with people being home, um, I think uh, they'll want to listen to new music, new things that are coming out. Like Netflix is drying up. Hulu is drying up. (laughs) Like TV is drying up. Um, It's good to put new, new stuff out into the world. And um, so I'm grateful that it has come out when it has. And the other good news is that by the time we are able to tour again, um, people will know the words to these songs and it won't be some, you know, awkward moment throughout the set where it's like, we're going to play another new one, cool? <laughs> you know, and nobody wants, nobody wants that.
0: <laughs> I mean, obviously before lockdown, but have has' been speaking of doing, like, um, drive-in shows? I know, I know in the UK these yeah. are quite a lot more popular.
2: We're just now, I'm having a meeting tonight. Um, I have an organization called The Sidewalk Project mm. that brings art and music to places like Skid Row or our houseless uh, neighborhoods and punks for change. Another organization reached out to me and they said, Stacy, we want to do a virtual concert with proceeds going to sidewalk project and things like that. And um, then they said, well, one a local venue said that they would do a drive-in and they have, they have room for 25 cars. And I said, that's not enough. If we're going to do it, we should do it big and get a lot of acts and kind of really do it. So, I'm having a meeting tonight, actually at 830 this evening to discuss uh, what that's going to kind of look like and see if we can get a bigger space and um, really get people to sign on it. You know, so we'll see um, again. Fat Mike is like, I hate that idea because <laughs> the other thing is like <laughs> the other thing is like nobody can drink. You can't drink and drive. You know what I mean? So it's like people are going to be in their cars. But um, I, I just we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm open to it everything. My band had had a meeting last night about doing like a stage it concert where we could do themed things um, where people could buy tickets and we could do a live streaming concert like full band hmm. like play the whole new record or do a whole uh, cover song. You know what I mean? Like set or you know just kind of tailor it to different themes so we're giving out new content and staying busy at the same time because the worst thing would be to like slip away into the abyss and never be heard from again because of something like this. So, I mean, it's right now it's like um, time to invent what's next for the artist because um, we have to keep working and the world needs music. So,
0: yeah, definitely. And I I think it's, um, I think it's it's the bands who are going to be creative are the ones that are going to kind of really push on and and do well out of this. But I mean, like, let's face it, this is not a good time for any musician because essentially it's your one thing that you do you go on stage you perform and and, you, and people have fun and if that's taken away from people and it's taken away from you i mean yeah. shit
2: <laughs> I, i'm like the. Uh, i was always like look this thing's gonna blow over by july everything's gonna be fine we're gonna be out there but now i'm like i wouldn't get on a fucking plane mm. to go to europe right now like that seems so dangerous and i want to stick as being as like uh brave as i am it's like i want to kind of stay (laughs) in your home well we're talking
0: about that then because bad cop bad cop was in europe when it really started kind of hitting home in europe because i think a lot of people in the west were very much like it's in china it's not far away it's fine and then it hit Italy and I even think in this country we're still like it's in Italy it's fine it's not going to hit us and then all of a sudden bam it hit us and we we end up having the highest death rates in Europe because our government didn't take it seriously but that's another argument um but (laughs) you were in am I right in saying you were in um Austria or Czech Republic or something like that and then all of a sudden you've got your guy saying everyone needs to get home now we're shutting the airports and when you were in Europe were you like oh this isn't really going to be a thing or were you like oh shit this is really a thing and then when you got back to America you're like guys like seriously there's there's something coming and it it, like potentially could have serious implications on not only musicians but the whole country
2: yeah the truth is when I first heard about it I am a non-believer in the uh, fear that the the media tries to feed people. Hmm. So like, you know, my mother, who's a retired woman, it watches the news all day. And it's like, oh, I go, what's going on, mom? Oh, well, we're going to war. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's done it now. Iran is going to bomb us. And I'm like, that's that's not going to happen. I don't, you know what I mean? So it's like, I every time I walk past the news, on TV, I go, God, that's the most negative shit I've ever heard. Like, why is there nothing positive ever in the media? Um, And it's because, you know, humans love a fucking train wreck, you know, love looking at a car crash, love the drama, you know, it's like, anyway, so I heading to Europe was like, how many times swine flu, uh, bird flu, Mm -hmm. all of these things that it's like, come on. I'm not, I'm not going to buy into this. And then we're about to get on the plane and it's like, uh, it's in Italy really bad. You know, my boyfriend calls me and he's like, so no Italy then, huh? And I was like, I guess not. Um, and then we still went to Europe <laughs> thinking the you know, thinking this way. And then we're over there. And then it seemed like, okay, Italy. And then, and then Switzerland says, if you've been to Italy, you can't come to Switzerland. So it's like, all right, we're not going to Italy. We're going to go to Switzerland and then on our way to Switzerland, Switzerland is like no more shows in Switzerland. But then, <laughs> then we got a little show in Switzerland. That was just a hundred cap room, small club um, and kept going. But it seemed like every t- every new country we were about to go into was just about to close down on us or was closed down right after we were there. So it felt like we were being chased by this thing everywhere we were going yeah. And then one morning we woke up and I had like a text from like 18 people going, you need to come home. Mm. You need to come home now. Um, And again, I'm usually the one that's like, you know, uh, I don't, I don't think so. But my spirit was telling me, guys, we need to make an exit strategy. We need to figure out what we're going to do because our plane tickets were to come uh, to fly out of the UK and we were on main- in mainland Europe. So it was like, we're driving along and it's like, okay, the Netherlands has shut down. We're not going to go to the Netherlands anymore. I was like, guys, we should think about going home. No, we're going to keep going. So we're we're going, we're finally um, out of Switzerland, heading to France. And France is like that day going, okay, the government just said no shows over, uh, you know, 500 people. So we're about to cancel the show in France tonight, in Paris. Mm. (laughs) Excuse me. And, um, And then they were like, well, you know, the, The wording around it is weird. We don't know if it's like shutting down today or after the weekend. And so the club and us decided to have the show anyways and keep it under 200. It was like 250 people. Um, And here we are like thinking, all right, what are we going to do? And we were just about to like, how do we get back to the UK immediately? Um, And then we thought, fuck, I wonder if we could switch our tickets to fly from from France back home. Um, Rather than going back to the UK, which is going to be a lot of extra money, whether we fly or the tunnel or whatever we we choose to do. Um, So we played the show. It seemed really it was a good show, but like we're packing our shit on the sidewalks like and then went straight to the airport after we played (laughs) and uh, everything was closed. So we we got a hotel next to the airport and bought a whole new round of tickets, spent four grand to fly home the next morning just to get the fuck home because Mm. at that point it was like, it was like, there's no, our agents were like, we need to get you home, Mm. whatever it takes. You need to go home. So uh, we tried diligently to stay thinking that this wasn't a big deal still, you know? And then we get home and we, we didn't know what to expect when we got home either. It was like, we're talking to everybody's talking about these quarantines. And so it was like, um, we didn't know what that looked like. So when we got off the plane, are they going to make us go to like a hotel for two weeks? Are they going to put us in some holding facility? Are we going to be, you know, what is this? Mm. Uh, but we got home and all they did was take our temperature and we had, we were in customs for like three hours, but we stayed calm and we got out of there and they had just said, you know, you should quarantine for 14 days. And I said, is this, is this mandatory or is this just a suggestion? And they said, it's just a suggestion. But then <laughs> two days after we get home, the whole goddamn country shuts down yeah. in quarantine for everybody. So it was like wild, wild. I mean, when we were over there, it was we had our, va- our, our rental vans and all of our rental gear uh, for two bands, our band and our and support make war. Um, our crew decided to get both vans back to the Czech Republic where that's where we had rented them from. Um, but Czech borders were closing And they had to get in and get out by Sunday night at midnight. And it was Friday night at midnight. Um, And to be honest, we found out the Czech Republic shut down that day. So there was no getting the vans back. The vans sat outside of Berlin. They might still be there. (laughs) (laughs)
0: talk um, a little bit about yourself and your upbringing because i know you you were brought up yeah. in quite a, a musical family your mum um yeah. worked in a is it, is it right in saying a kind of um a production company that kind of put on shows
2: yeah no she worked for bill graham who was one of the biggest promoters in the san francisco mm. bay area for like the rolling stones and the dead and and he started a merch company called winterland productions which made T-shirts for everybody, all major label T-shirts. So Madonna, uh, Twisted Sister, uh, but all the big ones, yeah. you know, like the Rolling Stones, obviously the Grateful Dead. Which I still have some of those shirts, and they're fucking worth like five hundred bucks a pop. Like no shit. Um, so she grew up doing accounting in the merch side of that. Um, so I grew up in rock and roll shirts because they were free to my poor family. She was going through all the, like the you know the misprints and shit, and I was wearing like wham shirts and shit to school everybody's like how do you get all this stuff it's like it's free to me <laughs> you know like it's but, not cool it's free because we're poor but everybody else thought it was so cool but I had for all you, this shit.
0: there's yeah. a cost if you want this t-shirt um yeah and, and yeah. your dad was a musician as well correct he he, yeah. he played like yeah, coffee shops and and shows yep. and stuff like that so so yep. obviously music was embedded in you then growing up i mean can you remember the music that was being played at the time in your house was there a particular artist that you that yeah. kind of you listen back and you go that reminds me of my family
2: yeah the police uh michael jackson abba uh the beatles for sure um and then, like, uh, Cindy Lauper came in. I remember she's so unusual getting that record the first time that we got that record. It was like, oh, this is so cool. Madonna was a huge, huge one. And no kidding. MTV was on in my house 24 hours a day, mm. it was always on. Um, so, it, my house was a very, I, I grew up very, very rock and roll for
0: sure. So, with that in mind, then w- w- when you're listening to these mu- this music, was it something of automatically like this is going to be me? Like you've got you've got your dad playing music, you have got your mum in the industry to a certain extent, and you're there growing up with all this music and art and like, like culture kind of pouring over you constantly. Yeah. W- yeah. Where, were you going to school, going? I'm just going to be a musician. Like I already know what yeah. I'm doing. Like I don't need you telling yeah. me. I need to do grades. <laughs>
2: yeah hundred percent. I, um, the first band that I got into on my own that I picked was the Go-Go's. Um, and my, my mom, you know, they were young ladies at the time, 20, 21 years old. I'm five years old. Uh, she took me, my parents took me to go see them and I fought my way up to the front of the stage. And I already knew I wanted to be a singer, but I saw them play. I saw Jane Wiedel play and sing. And I said, that's what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And I've never changed my mind. Um, I, and I did it, you know, a hundred percent down to the all girl band.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So there's never a point where you're like, I want to be an architect or I want to be an astronaut. It was always musician, singer upfront. Yeah,
2: Yep. I didn't know exactly how to do that. And it took a really long time. Um, although like at home and in the home, I was around music night and day, mm. uh, at school, I kind of like pushed it away. And really, this is a funny thing. It's like, I really focused on being social. I, I I wanted people to like me and I learned how to get people to like me no, despite where I came from. Cause I grew up real poor in a kind of affluent area. Um, so that was my main kind of like goal throughout school was, um, social was social. I just, I just wanted to connect with people, which turned out to be a great tool growing up because I was shit at school. Like there was nothing I was really good at, you know, <laughs> it it was much like that. It was kind of like, I'm not going to have to do any of this stuff. I'm not going to go. I did end up going to like a, a city college for a little while, but I took music, acting and everything else I got B's in and I got A's in music and acting. It was like, fuck it. I'm, you know what? This is just what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so, yeah, it was it was very much like that. It was kind of just knew I'd be doing something with this.
0: I mean, the fact you got but B's it- is is impressive because I found my old school records and I got F's. Like, I was looking through, it <laughs> thinking, fucking hell here. How have you survived life? But the one thing I did get was an A in drama. And I was like, A. That's all it, I needed. I needed to bullshit my at. way through life. And then yep. <laughs> that's all I needed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, man. You know, when I was in like primary school and high school and that, I, I failed out. I had to go to a school, like a, a, a contingent, a school called continuation where um, I learned, I learned differently than other kids. I was real smart. But um. I didn't give a fuck. And I, I've always been like fucking authority kind of thing. Mm. So anybody trying to get me to sit down, be quiet and listen to some boring ass shit was never going to be something that I wanted to do and just kind of zoned out all the time. And, you know, it worked out for me, though. You know, it, it did. <laughs> but it was it was it was tough in those years. And, and and then, you know, honestly, like through my teen years, I partied really hard and I got into drugs and boys and didn't take music seriously until I was 20 and then finally picked up my guitar and said, dad, I'm ready to learn how to play guitar. And he showed me two chords. I moved away to Santa Barbara, came back three later, three years later, a songwriter. And I said, dad, I think I'm a songwriter. And he's like, okay, whatever. You know, you've never been anything. (laughs) And then I, uh, and then I was like, let me play you my first song. And he, I played it and he was like, we have to record that. He was so excited, you know, like to, to find that out because I had poo pooed it for so long um yeah it was it was uh it was a it was fantastic to find out that that was what i was absolutely good at yeah that could do because not everybody can write a song you know
0: <laughs> i mean because i kind of want to touch very quickly uh, because when i was reading the interview about yourself you spoke about um growing up and because you had quite a rock and roll household like drugs were being used in the house and i grew up Not in a rock and roll household, but I had drug use in my house, especially heroin was the thing that seemed to be happening in my house. And I always got people asking me, am I okay? Because the town, like the town that I lived in was very small, but the street in particular was even smaller. So people knew about my family and people kept asking me, am I okay? Am I okay? And because I knew no different, I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And, and because of that, the idea of drugs has never really seen anything that bad like i know drugs are harmful because i've seen it in my family but i because i grew up with it i i was always kind of like shielded to the idea of being shocked by drugs and i don't know if that's something that you had as well because you grew up in kind of a in a household where drugs were spoken about and maybe used In a more of a free fashion.
2: Um, Yeah, because like sometimes I tell stories from my childhood to regular people these days, like regular friends, and they go, "Oh God, like how did you? You know, like it's like you okay? That was just a Tuesday, (laughs) you know what I mean?" (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is shocking. But when you grow up in it, it's just so normal, isn't it? Mm. But it's like, no wonder you got ups in school. You know, I I, I found something later that said kids do better at school when uh, families eat together around the table. And I had begged my mom and dad to eat at the table with me my whole life. And it was just something they wouldn't do.
0: I feel if I asked my mom, she would go, why? That would be her right. reason. Like, why would we eat together? Like, why would
2: we do that? Yeah, yeah. I had to grow up yeah. like that. I don't want to fucking live like that. Be free. You're yeah. watching TV. Be happy. But it was like, I, I, and to this day, I still crave, um, structure. You mm. know, other kids, other kids' parents were like whistling for them to come in at night. You know, where are you, kind of thing. And my parents never did. Um, and my grandmother did though. And I remember loving that because I felt, uh, cared for, you know? Um, so I still crave that structure. I find, um, the, the people I choose to be around are much more structured than I am.
1: Yeah. Yeah, So I can,
2: so it's kind of like, uh, it, it kind of, um, rubs off on me a little bit because i am just i'm still i'm just like this free little oh thing in life you know (laughs) whatever the universe has my back you know like
0: (laughs) i can fly Um, yeah
2: i can fly look at me go yeah
1: so so when
0: when did when did punk then find you then When, when was it like you you heard a punk track and you've gone, fuck, what's this? Was it family or was it friends or was it on the radio? Well,
2: I think it started with the Go-Go's. Hearing that beat, like boom, 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 da ba-da, 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 da Like that kind of beat, the Ramones mm. and Joan Jett. The Go-Go's, the Ramones and Joan Jett, and at around 1980, 81, um, was what I heard first when I came to punk rock. Uh, and then I grew up kind of listening to mainstream pop music and I really got into hip-hop uh in my teen years, I found uh not even my teen years like eleven I got uh Dana Dane with fame was the first uh hip hop record that I got um which was kind of an offshoot of slick Rick and had that kind of cool like uh you know they were American, but they had like a british feel to to their <laughs> to their epic and then I really got into to dancing and hip hop and I loved um the the culture of hip hop mm. then at Uh, around 15, my guy friends skateboarders were listening to tapes of like the toy dolls. Um, but green day before green day was huge because I'm from the Bay area. Yeah. So green day and, um, operation Ivy and the odd numbers were the first bands that I listened to in my teens. And then when I decided that it was time to write music, um, I had loved punk so much. It was like at 16, I kind of stopped listening to hip hop so much and more started listening to, you know, um, to, to, to punk rock music. So that's kind of when I started to really listen to it. And then by 20, it was like, that's who I am. And that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to be doing. You know, as soon as I picked up my guitar, I felt like that's, that, that's where I fit
0: in. Cause you're from the Bay area. Did you ever go to Gilliman at all?
2: I didn't, but all my friends were there yeah. and they were coming back going, there's this band Green Day, there's this band Operation Ivy. And I was still 14, 15 years old. So my mom, being from the Bay, I was like, about an hour away from, from Berkeley. Mm,
1: okay. So my
2: parents were like, I don't think you're going to go with your friends over to Berkeley, which was, you know, cool that they cared at that time. Um you know, (laughs) but a bummer that I didn't get to go and everybody else, you know, got to see that shit. You know, it's like green day is a huge fucking band, but at my core green day is like those first songs I heard on, you know, uh, i take staring across the room. Are you leaving soon? Yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. love that shit. I was like, I wanted all those songs to be written about me, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you say you're about 15. When were you first going to shows then? And, and like, because I think there's a completely different experience. So you said about the go-go's, but I mean, like, as when you're well, a little bit older and, you, and, you kind of understand what a show is and why it's so enjoyable or did you even at that young age still understand like the power of going to a live gig i
2: you know i did see the power in it but because i I went to so many bigger bigger shows that were at bigger venues i didn't get that small club uh feel until i was you know 18 probably or even cuz i i raved for a while there too from like 16 to 19 i was going to dance parties and out all night you know like <laughs> that kind of thing um so maybe it was even like you know 20 when i f- first started going to like backyard punk shows or um all ages punk shows uh yeah it it was it was a little bit later it was a little bit later
0: and how did you find that because going to a punk show i i think can be quite an intimidating thing like no matter your your gender seeing people kind of smash into each other like it takes something for you to go i i'm gonna i'm gonna get into that like, like I'm, I'm gonna jump in i love this and the first time you go in you're kind of full of excitement but a bit nervous because you're fearful that someone's gonna smash you in the face but i found very quickly that if you did someone did smash you in the face which it does happen they they quickly pick you straight back up again and it's like kind of, you understand it's not about the, the the aggression and violence. It's about unity and everyone enjoying the show together.
2: Yeah. So, so when did you um, first I discover had that? My, my older brother who has passed away. He's not my older bro- brother by blood, but I've known him since I was five years old. And we started calling each other brother and sister when I was around 11. He was the one that took me to go buy that first Dana Dane rap tape. You know, he kind of led me in. He was the one the skateboarder that had the tapes and Mm. he kind of brought me into those kind of situations. And it was like, this is my little sister. And if you touch her, I'll kill you. You know (laughs) what I mean? So it was always kind of a little protected a little bit more, but he really was the one that kind of brought me to those backyard parties that brought me to, it all really started at backyard parties because before I was 21, I couldn't get into any kind of club club. And most of the shows that I was going to back then were in people's backyards. Yeah. Um, but yeah he he really kind of introduced me to to that and being so uh kind of like wild as a teen um that angst and that kind of a you know energy, I was already fucking there, you know what I mean, like I was already that kind of like ah person ready to just you know i i and still am <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so at what point did you go? I want to get on the stage like that's the thing i I'm happy down here dancing around, but I want to be the person. Up there, playing shows, playing punk. Like, when? What band was that? And 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 like, were you nervous, or did you already have the confidence to go? I this is my destiny. I already know what I'm doing.
2: No, it was very scary because w- 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 the way I grew up, the people that knew me knew me as something completely different. They knew me as Stacy who partied and liked drugs and did all these other things. It wasn't Stacy the the musician. Nobody knew who that part of me growing up. Uh, I didn't let it in. I kind of, I kind of held that back. It was just kind of like at home. Um, and then watching like the, the boys that I grew up with again, they would all like, you know, get in a room and do, you know, rap together and shit and do beats and like, and I would always sit there going, I want to do that. But I was too scared to get up to try to do it. Or I'd be at a backyard party and I'd watch a a bunch of people jam in and get up and sing. And I'd be like, I can fucking do that. Why am I not, why am I not trying? Mm. um, So then I finally, when, like I said, at 20, when I picked up the guitar, I said, that's right. This is what I'm doing. I cut myself off from the people that I hung out with. And I started hanging out with other people that were playing music in my town. Um, I remember going over to a friend's house and he had drums set up and I was like, can I play that? And they all looked at me like I was crazy. And I sat down and I started playing drums and they were like, how the fuck do you know how to do that? And I said, I don't know. I've been doing this since I was four. <laughs> I don't know. how. I don't know how I know how to do this. Um, so I started changing the people that I was uh, hanging around with and started really, you know, I, again, it was MTV. I was watching bands that were on MTV. Um, again, Green Day because I loved them so much at a young age, they introduced me to opening up to, to things like, you know, no effects and yeah. lag wagon and, and the bands that I'm around now. Uh, and that just made me feel like I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. Um, and then finally just decided this is who I am and said it out loud and made the people know in my town, this is who I am and this is what I do. Um, and it, it was uncomfortable for, for uh, the first year or so that I said that I made that declaration. But it was kind of like you held your head up high and watched through that pile of shit just like, I don't smell it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I do to <laughs> I'm gonna do this, you know what I mean? Like so that's kinda that's kinda what it was for me, yeah.
1: Word on the street today, and already we're born. Progress democracy is now coming up short. I can't watch while evolution falls apart. Bury me in history with Nancy Morgan Hunt Before I'm forced back to the start.
0: So before bad cop i think a lot of people might have known you from angry amputee as well because obviously i say obviously people might not know um but you you got i think what what you're quite known for is that you got a track on tony hawk in particular and like tony hawk is obviously an album uh, sorry a, a game that launched so many bands into like the mainstream for yourself but it seemed to be that as that band was rising you let it all go because you, you met a gentleman and moved to London. Like how hard was that for you? Cause you must've felt, Oh, this, there's something happening here. Like this, this could be a thing.
2: Uh, it felt like that, but there also felt like a lot of, um, it was exciting. Angry amputees were so exciting. It got me to start touring. It got me to the UK. It mm. got me to the Netherlands. It got us on that, on that Tony Hawk thing. But it, um, it felt like there was a lot of people trying to not let it happen as well. And there was a, my, my um, old, my guitar player for the Angry Amputees and I kind of butted heads a lot, even though we're great friends. He, he kind of, he wrote the song that was on Tony Hawk. So he kind of felt like he was the songwriter of the band. Yeah. And that made me feel obsolete Anytime I go to him with a song, he'd be like, no, nah, I don't think so. And I would, it would crush me. It crushed me more than any relationship with a man I had ever been in. It just, like, ruined my spirit. So um, when we did go to the UK and I met my ex-husband um, and we came home, I started a new band immediately called Compton SF, which was almost signed by Fat Records. Mike, We never really put anything out. Uh But Fat Mike loved that band and San Francisco loved that band. It, so, and then the angry amputees kind of started taking a backseat anyways, mm. because Compton SF staff was more, it was way more fun. I was writing songs again. It was punk as fuck. It wasn't like angry amputees started moving in this like prog punk direction that I didn't understand. It was like a minute and a half, like intros and shit. And it was like, I don't get this. Um, You know? <laughs> So Compton was like two, two minute punk songs, which is what I loved, you yeah. know? So kind of moved into that. And that was harder to leave when I, when I moved to the UK was harder to leave Compton than it was the angry amputees though. The angry amputees has never broken up. We're still, we still call ourselves a band. We still get together on zoom chats and shit. And we still, you know, like we're going to have another, we'll have a, we'll have a reunion show. It's like, but we'll see if that ever happens. But um, yeah, so it was, it was difficult to leave Compton because Compton, again, fat records was interested. Mm. It could have happened then, you know, that we got signed to fat. Um, But instead I decided to take a chance on um, not just a marriage, but living in another country. I felt like that was going to, something I've always, always done was um, followed my, my, what my spirit says. Um, From moving to Santa Barbara, knowing that Santa Barbara was going to move me towards my um, goal and in, in being a punk rock singer and player to um, knowing that moving to the UK was going to be good for me, for my, for my career, even though it seemed counterintuitive, it felt like living in another country um, was going to be better for me than not. Yeah. So I decided to, although it was so scary, my friends were begging me to stay, begging me to stay. Uh, what are you doing? Like, I'm like, I'm going. Um, And I fucking love the UK. Like I love London. London to me is the coolest city on the face of the planet. And I've been to a lot of cities, you know, well, I, was, um, I love the way of life there.
0: Sorry, I was—I was, I was going to say. I was sorry, gonna, I just love sorry? it. I love
2: London. Well, anytime we get to tour and I and we're going to London, I'm like London. <laughs> I'm just like so excited every time. And I tell my band like I would live there again if I got the opportunity.
0: Oh, really? It's
2: just a way of life. Yeah, I mm. just I I I was thriving. I did voiceovers there. I worked for Sony Pictures. I worked for uh, Handle Recruitment, was which was a, a recruitment agency to the entertainment industry. So I got to work for like the gorillas manager. I worked for I worked all over London. Yeah. Um. And it was before cell phones. With like I would be up like on the on the tube map, you know, uh, working my way how to get to work the next day. And I just fucking I, I loved it. I loved it.
0: Well, because I, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but the the the, the man that you, you you married was a guy who I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast kind of revere as the guy who kind of kept punk going in this, in this country for yeah, a very yeah. long time. Um, his name's Mike Davies. Uh, he was doing the punk rock show. He's also um, my ex-boss, really, because when I used to be an assistant producer on the show. Um, so was it weird being married to a guy who was kind of seen, I-, I think for a lot of people in punk, as the guy who kept it going? Because I know bands like The Skints, Cap Down, um, Sonic Boom oh, really? 6... Uh, random hand all state that if it wasn't for him like the the scene would have died like he kind of because he had this 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 kind of um piece on radio one at a prime time show in the early days he was giving a voice to a lot of bands and you coming over did you feel that yourself because obviously you must have been going to shows as well like did you kind of go yeah fuck he's actually doing something here like this is yeah this is i was
2: I was in awe of what he was doing. He had a real vision for, um, for the show. Mm. He, he said that, you know, the way that he got the show was that he was just in the right place at the right time. And somebody said, we want to do a punk rock show. We want to do it like this. And he said, no, you got to do it like this. And they said, oh, you think, you know, so much you do it then. (laughs) So he kind of like, was like, great. I'm going to bring in rancid and I'm going to bring in, you know, no effects. And Mm. I'm going to, play local bands and, and discover people. And he fucking loved it. Like he listened to all the bands that were sent to him. No shit. He found those good songs, you know? Um, I'm still proud of what he did, you know, as, as, as though he and I are not together and, you know, we still care about each other. We don't talk, Mm. you know what I mean? Anymore. And he's got a completely different life. And I, um, but he taught me so much about punk he really did. Like it was uh it was a, it was a, a real lesson in, um in punk rock music and the songs that he should be, you know, I should be listening to. He'd make me like mixed CDs all the time of like stuff I should be listening to. It was such an exciting time. If you can imagine, you know, like newly married living in London. My husband is this punk rock radio DJ. I'm a punk rock singer. I got to start a band with Lee and laws from snuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what I mean? So it's like, I, it was just it was incredible it was an incredible exciting time did you
0: did you find yourself <laughs> at reading and leeds as well because i think one of the lasting yeah. legacies that he did was the lockup stage because yeah it, it like it was a small stage but every every day it was packed like so many people were there and one ah, of my favorite times
2: thousands of people.
0: yeah watching cap down at the side of the stage and just Ah, seeing and just it was fucking crazy like just this this band who had really no right of pulling in the amount of people onto that stage at reading festival and people like so many lines outside just because everyone kind of comes like a magnet because this place is bouncing was like what's going on and it was just such a good feeling to 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 see a a scene that i loved get the respect from so many people who may not have known punk but then may have like tuned into the show. And I'm saying this because obviously I worked in the show. So it meant a lot to me. Um, So I just wondered like when you were at Reading and Leeds, did you feel that as well? Like just like there is a scene in this country. yeah. Yeah.
2: Watching Capdown play Reading and Leeds that year that they came back and played it and how fucking packed that was for them blew me. I still got, I still get goosebumps. I still get goosebumps about it. I no kidding. I um I'm still friends with those guys to this day. Like Jake came to when I played with the Gimmies last year. Jake came to one of the shows. Um uh Boob Robin, the bass player yeah. and his wife were still good friends. They've come they came out to visit when Mike and I were still together. Um so yeah, it was I mean even seeing like um uh Ice T's band Body Count. Yeah, Body Count. <laughs> he, he
0: kept banging on about Xbox. He kept saying, "You Xbox motherfuckers!" I'm like,
2: "Where's yeah, the Xbox right, come from?" That's right. But his wife Coco came over, and like had, my cat, my ex husband had all of his CDs setting up there because he was DJing in yeah. between the sets. And Coco just came over, like, threw them all off onto the floor. We all laughed hella hard. It was like, oh, man, this is too cool. <laughs> so your time in the UK. Yeah, it was
0: incredible. So your time in the UK, do you think that kind of laid the path for when you came back over with Bad Cop? Do you think that kind of gave you an extra edge? Huge. Hmm.
2: The, the relationships that I made at that time have come full circle for me in this band 100%. Uh, people knew, knew me because of that because I met so many bands. I was in so many sessions that Mike had on the, you know, I would come in to watch um, Bedouin Soundclash clash or, uh, you know, Frank Turner mm. um, at the, when they first started, you know what I mean? Like, and, and getting their first break on the BBC, like I was there. I watched alkaline trio, you know, come in and destroy shit, you know, for, for the first couple times, you know, yeah. it was like, being there was so cool it was just so cool
0: like the gaslight <laughs> anthems like would yeah. not have got a playlist on radio 1 if it wasn't for that show at all and like it it's definitely left a legacy um and I'm glad that you saw it as well I'm glad that you 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 see it because I think sometimes I look back on it with like tinted glasses of like it was the, it was a time when nothing could go wrong for me because i was working on a show yeah. that i loved and i loved yeah, punk, I and, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that you also kind of because you were close to it experienced it, and you you kind yeah. of had the same i was like
2: oh! the only thing was that i wasn't doing it as yeah. much you know i wanted to be as popular as the artist that i you know was seeing and and mike tried to get like you know play in grampy or play Uh, you know, a song or something that I had done, but he was like, I I don't know what else to do for you. Uh, He tried, he tried (laughs) like, uh, so that was the one thing. It just wasn't my time yet, but I did get to sit back and watch it all kind of unfold and watch so many artists get a chance and a break. Um, It was definitely one of the coolest times of my life. Yeah.
0: So you both came back to uh, the States and then you decided that you wanted to go head on to, to, to your music with, with bad cop. Uh, at what point were you like, this is it like bad cop or nothing. I'm, I'm going full in with this band. This is what I'm going to do.
2: I, uh, he and I, are, I, I my, when my brother passed away, um, I was very sad and I um, went to a doctor for the entertainment industry that gave me pills that, that really took me out of life. And um, that, drove a wedge in my marriage. I mean, Mike and I were going different directions anyways. He wanted to be a firefighter and a Mm. cop and all these things that I just didn't understand. I I had always, I had, I had married a, a punk rock radio DJ, not those things. Um, and I wasn't healthy in my brain and in my spirit, I was still a negative, had a negative perspective. And, um, I was in no way, did I know how to have a successful relationship? Um, but the one thing that I was able to do was my band. And I don't know why I stuck so hard to it, uh, but we split up and my band was just the the one thing, even though I was so depressed and I was filled with anxiety and I was taking pills every day and I couldn't get out to go take a walk, but I could go to band practice. Um, I don't know why that was, Uh but I just kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. Until I found myself in a position where we finally made some shit happen. You know, I don't know why. I don't know why I believed in it so much. I don't know why that was the one thing that was more important to me than anything. I guess it's because that's who I who I was mm. at my core, you know, and, and I felt like I was, you know, in a band that was writing really good songs and I and it wasn't just um, on me. The other girls in the band took it on themselves as well to, you know, to really run with this thing. So when I was singing for Fat Mike's musical and uh, his, his ex-wife Soma said, you should put out an EP with Stacy's band. Um, And they actually came and saw us play a few months later and Mike signed us. It was like, this was always supposed to happen. It just was when the time was right, you know, but I'm just so glad that that was the one thing that I was always able to do to get up to do, even in the depths of my depravity was, was the band?
1: Life is a demonstrated dream, a work of art. It can't be as real as our beliefs. Forget what you thought, kill the machine, and free from the flood. Well, don't you know you can't be anything, anything, anything in this world that you want? la 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 la. la.
0: going this is gonna happen like this band is the thing whereabouts i'm gonna find my happiness like this is gonna like we can do something with this
2: i i uh i always had an unyielding belief that it could i didn't know how it was going to um and then being you know i'm i'm almost 45 years old that it's happening now is almost impossible like I changed everything. I changed my, um, I got off all the drugs. (laughs) I changed my perspective. Somehow I got a chance to have something really important to say. Mm. Um, so it's just, everything happened at the right time. Um, I, but I, you know, I don't know if it was like, this is what I'm going to, I always knew this is what I was going to do. And I always believed in my, in myself, in my music, but it wasn't until after i got better and well and after we made our first uh record on fat records after not sorry when we did warriors did i feel like this is this is why it's happening now yeah we finally have we're supposed to have this voice now for women for minorities for lgbtq for um you know we're supposed to be these people now it wasn't ever supposed to happen before it was supposed to happen now um and to be grateful for that uh has really been the difference you know
0: talking about not sorry um the first track on that album freaks my cat out every time there's that kind of the harmonies (laughs) of hello my cat freaks. yeah
1: my cat just (laughs) freaks out
0: looks like what the fuck is going on I don't know what it is. Remember
2: the first cell phones, the first app, there was an app called Cat Piano. It was like, meow, 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 meow. But you could like do it in harmony, meow, meow, meow. (laughs) Um, That's probably why it sounds just like that.
0: (laughs) Maybe, maybe, maybe. I'm just just like, what is wrong with you? And then it just like, then it would calm down, but it was always just the first beginning. Um, So like that album came out and you started touring a lot and opening up a lot what what makes for you what do you think a good support act is
2: somebody that's able to get people loose mm. and ready to fucking dance and be you know you want to warm up you know you want to warm up the crowd for the for the uh for the headliner so the headliner is got like yeah and has that energy um so if you yeah learning how to do all that kind of stuff snuff was the first real tour Bad Cop went on after I got better the thing is it's like we put it out. Not sorry. We started touring, but then I had massive bottoming out in front of everybody. And that's when I got better. So it happened kind of like right at the beginning of our fat career yeah. that I changed my, my perspective. So not sorry came out and it was still, you know, didn't really, I mean, it had some good things to say in terms of like uh sugar cane and, you know, some of those kind of like uh poignant moments, but like it wasn't as much of a statement as warriors was, you yeah. know? Um, So, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was grateful. Thankfully it, the change happened at the beginning of our career. So then now we're, we've kind of stepped into the, the stronger band that can headline and stuff, but snuff was the first one that took us out and we had to warm up the crowds for snuff trying to play in like Birmingham and places where like the Midlands, you can't get anybody moving, you know, (laughs) Everybody just kind of stands there like, mm, you know, and I'm like, come on, clap. And people are like, I don't think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, have, you, have you ever been on a tour about the headliners that has been a bit douchey and you've gone, fuck it. Like, we're going to go out there and we are going to kill it. And then you've got to follow us and you're going to look shit. Has that ever been in your mindset?
2: Never. I've, we've never been in a band where the headliner was douchey. We've okay. never toured with anybody where we've been like, this sucks. Yeah. Never.
1: Oh, good. Um,
2: and and the truth is, we've always we're always trying to better ourselves. So now, oddly enough, when we can't go out and tour, we're stronger than ever and more comfortable on stage than ever. Because we had to learn how to play all stages, from small stages to huge festival stages. Like you know, like one day you're playing to a hundred people, the next day you're playing to ten thousand people. It's like. You better learn how to fucking, you know, captivate that. So it took us quite a while. It took us a few years to get that under our belt. And now I feel like we're finally, we're finally there, man. You know what I mean? We're finally seasoned and we're not scared and we can dominate any stage we're on. And now we can't play. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Typical, isn't it? Um, so as a band, you've kind of said about finding your voice. And um, I think as, as a band, you it's kind of mixing politics with your music, but I'm supposed that can be quite dangerous with four people in a band because not everyone's politics is going to be the same. Is it something that you kind of discuss about and like, okay, I w- I'm really passionate about this one issue. And then another member can be like, but do we really want to push that issue? Is it something that we all collectively believe in?
2: Truthfully, we do kind of all have the same beliefs when it comes to um, the marginalized in our society. Mm having a voice, people that don't have a voice um, speaking up to protect people uh, has always is, is very important to all four of us. So thankfully, like we're all kind of on the same page with our message. Um, Yeah. uh, Thankfully, you know, it could be, we have had discussions like, uh, like my song breastless. I went to them and I said, guys, I think I'm going to write this song. I, I, at first I wrote it, it was called uh, Restless, and then it was Reckless, which is all, I put those words all in the song, breastless, But um, when I, I went to them and I said, I think I'm going to write this song, hear me out. <laughs> I think I'm going to write this song called Breastless, They were kind of like, uh, I don't know. And I said, look, if I do this the right way, it's going to be awesome. And there, is it anything like that out there? A woman singing about breast cancer and mm-hmm. the cancer that you know I've gone through because one out of eight women <clears throat> have this happen to them. It's, it's very real thing. Um, so at first it was kind of like, uh, um, and then at other times I think maybe sugar King was kind of like, I don't think we want to talk about that. But it yeah. was like, this happened to me. I want to talk about it. So I'm glad that I have pushed through and like, I'm um, on the point, honest about uh, in my songs, you know what I, you know what I mean? I'm not trying to yeah. hide anything in metaphor. I really just kind of put it out there. uh, Uh, for good or bad
0: (laughs) when when you're writing these songs though because they are so personal especially um around obviously things that you've gone through yourself with obviously uh, with drugs and and um the breast cancer that you just that you spoke about like is there any kind of feeling so vulnerable that you have to sing it night after night after night do you, do you, is that in your mind, I've like, I don't want to relive this every night because once it's on an album and it does yeah. well, then all of a sudden that's, that's going to be playing for the rest of your career.
2: Yeah. In the song, Simple Girl, there was a line that, um, in the bridge that said, um, an expensive price and I pay it originally was it's an expensive price and I pay it every night. I said, when we, when we first rehearsed the song, I said, stop, I'm going to fucking change that line because I will not live that pain every night. Yeah. I will not. So I went in at the last minute, the last day, as the records being mixed, and I said, "I need to re-sing this." So I changed it to, "I used to pay it every night because I don't, I will not sit in that. Yeah. I will not sit in that and have that be my reality." That's the only one instance because everything else, I could kind of, I could kind of, except for Victoria. Victoria, our song Victoria is a true story, um, and, and, and I wish I had spoke to my friend whose whose daughter uh, took her own life before I I put the song out. Yeah. So now that's like a heartbreaking song for me to sing because he's not so happy that I did the song and use her name. He's like, "You could have changed her name." And I said, "I never used her last name ever, and I've never told anybody her last name." Um, but that's something that I wish I didn't. You know, I wish that I had, um, I had uh, cleared it with him first because the first part of the song is very true. The second part of the song, second verse, is shit I made up to make the song hurt a yeah. little bit more. Yeah. And so when he heard the second part of the song, he was like, how fucking dare you, yeah. you know? And it's like, uh, I wish I I wish I didn't do that, to, quite honestly. You know, that was a mistake, um, which is a great song and it has helped a lot of people. Um, and, it hel- and it helps talking about mental illness and suicide, you know, uh, so we can not be so stigmatized by it. But um, yeah, there's been a few instances, but not much.
0: I, I, I just want to make sure Are you good for time at the moment yeah
2: i have an appointment i have to be at 11 30 and, and um i'm sorry that we no, have no, to wrap fine. this up that's
0: fine that's fine it's fine um, i'm so, sorry Liam.
2: i can talk fine, to fine. you for hours oh, that's very kind of you it's very kind of you. <laughs>
0: um okay then let's kind of get with this question then because let, let's talk about the ride because you released that on fat again the third third record and you've spoken very highly of of mike in the past and in this interview i'm going to quote you now saying that he's taught me a lot about singing and songwriting. he believes in me and um i thank him for all that he's done did the band with the third album did you ever think about putting it out on any other label or was it we're loyal to fat this is this is where we're going to be
2: yeah uh fat records is our home um we wouldn't have the opportunities we have without them and i would that's my family Hmm. uh mike is one of my closest friends is a, is a dear dear friend as well and um, they've given us the opportunity to go out and do this in the world and I, I don't I wouldn't change that for anything
0: so just very quickly I stole this question from another um, interviewer just kind of liked it is it hard being in bad cop bad cop
2: sometimes um, but most of the time not it is one of it is probably the best relationship I've ever been in with other people we're going on 11 years hmm. um, it's the most honest and even when we're at <clears throat> at odds um we have to work it out like i don't, when we play we always do this thing where we meet at, at Myra's drums and we we say us before we play um and that is a no bullshit thing we all we all have to be there together even if we have had a fight earlier that day it, it needs to be worked out before we hit the stage because when we do us that's real that's us together um <clears throat> We, we really do talk about everything, even when it's the most uncomfortable. Um, this is the relationship that has taught me to be self-aware. Has ta- when I got better, I came to them and I said, I'm not interested in being weird and judgmental and jealous and all the things we used to be. Um, I want to hear your songs. I want to play your songs. I don't want this to be all about me. I don't need to sing every song. I, I want this. If we have a problem, we should be able to talk about it and that should be it. And, and we, all, we all changed. When I got better, the whole band got better. Mm. We all went down that road together. And we're constantly growing together. Um, this is, Bad Cop is the best relationship. Um, it has taught me how to have good relationships in my life. And with other women, other strong women, you know, that, uh, that believe in what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, so it is hard to be in Bad Cop, but it is so worth it. Because it's, it's
0: real. Stacey, we got through an interview about <laughs> talking about the gender of the band. So that, that must be nice.
2: Yeah,
0: we <laughs> But seriously, thank you for your time. It's an interview that I've been wanting to do for a while. Um, so I'm glad we've got this opportunity. I'm just sorry it's, it's uh, over Zoom and not uh, face-to-face. But thank you for your time. And I, I hope um, yeah, the album goes well. I love
2: talking to
0: you. It's very thank funny.
2: you so much. When we do come back, Let's go get a fucking beer together 100%. and uh, catch up for for reals. And I really enjoyed this. This was lovely.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, Stacey. Have a great day.
2: You too, Liam. Bye. Bye, bye, bye.
0: <laughs>
1: A thousand lives. I've been rich, been broke, been doped down, and lazy, even been somebody's wife. Yeah, I've hit the bottom and come back, inciting an innovative world. You say I look real cute, so let's keep it civil. I'll never be a simple girl.
0: Thank you so much to Stacey for giving up her time to chat to me. Support the band now by going to the uh, Fat Records site and picking up the new album the ride or pick up a bit of merch and if you still have some cash in your pocket go and also pick up the punks and pubs t-shirt on etsy thank you so much also to molly Tye for sponsoring this episode of the podcast so molly is writing a book about women and the punk movement in all eras and uh, subgenres, she is looking, though, for in particular for women who were fans of the 80s hardcore and 90s riot girl scene. If this sounds like something that you were part of, then please reach out to Molly and help her write her book. You can tweet at Molly. Uh, her Twitter handle is at Molly underscore Ty or click the link. In this episode description and help Molly out. That's it for me. Go rate and review so other people can find the podcast. Wear a mask because it's just a fucking good thing to do. And just because the media's fucked off, make sure you keep the pressure on your local government to bring about an end to race inequality. Stay safe and I will talk to you soon. Bye bye.